If you're a writer and social media isn't enriching your writing practice, you're doing something wrong. I want to start this episode again with a shout out and a huge thank you to Michelle Rado from the Daring to Tell podcast. She checked out my show and had some nice things to say, but she told me about a major tech issue that I was unaware existed. If you listen to my last episode about how to deal with unsupportive friends and family, you probably noticed that the intro got a little bit muddled with the beginning of the monologue. My podcast host has resolved the issue, so if you do listen to the episode now, everything sounds crystal clear as it should, but I'm just so grateful for people stepping out to help other people. You should do the same thing. Michelle, thank you so much for pointing that out. I would have never known about it if somebody from social media hadn't reached out to me and let me know what was going on. I'm going to drop a link to the Daring to Tell show in my show notes, so please check it out. I was just listening to her episode, A Hard Silence, an AIDS story with Melanie Brooks, and I am blown away not only by the production, but what this podcast is doing. It's true stories read by writers who lived them, and the interview and the stories going together, it feels as good as anything I ever have listened to on National Public Radio, so please check it out. My guest today, Beth Barani, is a genre novelist who is doing so much more than simply writing books. And when I say simply writing books, give me a break. It is incredibly difficult to write a book. But Beth is helping others to experience clarity so that they can write, polish, and proudly publish the books to the delight of their readers. And she's doing that through one-on-one -on -one coaching and consulting and presentations and keynote speeches and her online school. So all of these things are things that we're going to discuss in my interview with Beth, and I don't want to hold back anymore, so please enjoy my interview with Beth Barani. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name is Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you, whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, you'll be hearing from an industry expert on how they made the leap from unpublished to published, and how you can do it too. I'm a novelist and a writing teacher. My focus is on creating fiction, creating curriculum, delivering both of those. And that's a good place to be. That keeps me quite busy. So tell me a little bit about your portfolio of books and, and uh, where that journey started. Sure. Well, I'm really most proud of my fiction. I have three series out. I have a young adult adventure fantasy series called Henrietta the Dragon Slayer, three books on that. I have five uh, standalone but connected paranormal romance novellas and most recently, I have four science fiction mystery series, which are also standalone. They're murder mysteries, and they do progress through time. So you can read them in order and get them, or you can read them out of order and still enjoy them. Uh, and I'm continuing to work on that series. I'm very excited about um, the next book in the series uh, for Janie McAllister, Space Station Investigator. And uh, so I'm working on that, plus a bonus little short story that's going to my supporters and fans. Uh, so that's where I'm at right now. And I'm very much still in the story worlds of the other two series as well, especially Henrietta, the Dragon Slayer. I really 
uh, would love to produce the next series of adventures for her in graphic novel format. So I'm at the early stages of that. I've written a script. I, I need to edit that script in another pass. I'm in the early stages of learning how to storyboard, how to find an artist, how to fund it, the whole thing. And I'm very excited about that series as well. My earliest guest on the podcast was named Sean Blagg, and he had an idea for a graphic novel that I still find fascinating. Uh, that is a, a huge challenge. You're inviting a collaborator into the room with you to uh, illustrate a project that came out of your mind. Um, there's so much of the control freak in me that wants to be like, no, 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 you can't touch it or be really controlling uh, of that environment. And yet I think some of the most impactful work coming out right now is in graphic formats and graphic novels are, are having a renaissance right now. What are your thoughts on doing that? Do you think that you will do a dual release where you have a, a text only and then a, a uh, text with graphic, or do you expect that you would do only the graphic novel run? my brain thinks so much more easily in prose than in script. I've been thinking about why I'm having so much problems rewriting this script. And I think I might be able to solve them if I write it in prose. And then, so write basically like a novella, because I'm basically thinking in episodes now, I'm writing episodic stories of Henrietta and her friends. And I want fast paced and I want, mm -hmm right now I'm kind of stuck in the muddy middle, how to make it interesting. And I think, uh, yeah, if I wrote it in prose format, then I could work out some of the naughty problems and then I can translate it back into script. So I don't know, maybe it will be released in dual format. This is a, definitely a long-term project. It's not a front burner project for me. So I, I am thinking a lot about process and I, I put out some feelers to get artists and I just don't like even the beginning process of trying to onboard an artist. I'm so they just look at it as a job and I'm looking at it as a collaboration and, and I don't know how to even communicate yet well to the artists and let them know. So I'm definitely a babe in the woods when it comes to that. And maybe when things start to open up and I can go to some cons here in the San Francisco Bay area and start to just talk to people like, Hey, I have a dumb question. How do I start to find a good collaborator? Not just yeah. someone who wants a job, but someone who's invested in the story as much as I am and who wants to grow it with me, because this is like a, this could be like 13 episodes. And then one day it could be produced into film. I mean, this yeah. is some serious fun stuff here. Yeah. Absolutely. It is really fun. And I, I understand completely where you're coming from. I think that there are two sides to the coin that we're talking about, because one of them is um, even if we're great editors, like you are, we still have to outsource the editing of the books that we write to somebody else because we're incapable of editing at the level that needs to happen to produce a great book for ourselves. And I love looking at that as a one-time cost to me. And that's one of the, the, beauties of self-publishing that you don't necessarily get as much in the traditional format, but you get to edit uh, your book for a cost. And then you part ways with the editor. They're not going to take a, a cut for the, the rest of your life on your book. So that's really fantastic. But when you're talking about an artist, you are talking about somebody who's now creating something that's going to live and breathe with this project forever. And the more that they put their heart and soul into that project, the better their design is going to be. There's no question about it. So I understand where you're coming from. Um, I do want to ask too, as far as the YA writing goes, how does it differ in your aims and how you think about writing those books compared to writing for an adult audience? 
Yeah, that's a great question. It was a big step just to figure out that my books were YA. And then what did that mean? So I kind of came at it first intuitively and emotionally, and also recognizing that the issues I was dealing with were very much young adult issues, like who am I in the world and who do I want to be? And those are all concerns of young people. And I also wanted to write stories for the 12-year-old I was when I was looking for these stories and I didn't find them. So when you're that age and you're a teenager and you're looking out into the world, stories like this help you figure out, well, how do I want to be in the world? Look, there's a young woman, a young hero out having adventures and how does she handle that? And how does she handle uh, going from being a loner to making friends? And it's all these things that young people deal with. And I'm still um, in, in the next round of stories now, I mean, she's maybe a year older and I want her to think about, again, still it's more who do I want to be in the world when no one is watching because they're way out in the boondocks. There's nobody around except them. And they're faced with all these crazy monsters. How do they handle what are the ethics? How do they? Yeah. So I kind of want to deal with deal with that. Uh, whereas when I'm writing adult material, now the Janie McAllister series, mystery series, she's an investigator. She's dealing with death and grief and she's dealing with right and wrong and trying to uphold society's rules. And does she agree with them or not? How do, and so now she's an adult and she wants to say, see, how can I make an impact with the work I do? She's in the job. She's not no longer wondering what is my job. She's chosen a job. And I'm actually at a turning point where she's at, she's trying to figure out, well, what do I want to do now? And again, how do I, how do I best use my skills in the world? So she already has agency. She already has skills. And it's something I think as adults, especially now in, in this day and age with the pandemic and everything, people might really be asking themselves, like, what do I really want? And how do I want to best use what I already have as an adult into the world and how do I want the world to be? Because I, I feel like how we show up every day, we're designing the world, especially as artists. We're designing the world how we want it to be by how we show up every day. And I see my investigator going through the same things and trying to be a force for good and a force for justice. And, and that's kind of an uphill battle, so it's not always easy. So those books are a little darker. They're a little sadder. They're a little bit angstier. No, not angst in the teenage angst, but more like stuff sucks. <laughs> you know, things can really, really suck. And I'm going to still make up, I'm still going to get up every day and I'm going to make a difference because that is what is important to me. Even if things feel like they're falling apart around me. And, and that's a real adult mature kind of approach. And it's not easy too. There's also struggle to show up when things are falling apart around you. Uh, and I, I find that just it gives me hope and she's my she's my bastion of hope too hope is this thing right now for us that uh we've spent the better part of of two gosh we're going on three years in the pandemic and that has felt hopeless to most of us i know it's felt really hopeless to me at times and i remember asking my mother she came in to visit us and see the kids uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and i said how long is this going to last she's a nurse and she said well it'll be over by next summer Oh yeah. Nope. 
for the young adult, there's something you're talking to about discovering yourself in the world versus the adult. There's something about how do I fit? I know what I am, but how do I fit? That difference is the difference in um, having kind of an adult or a mature perspective in the world. So I really love that you highlighted that. Do you have one that you enjoy writing more? Yes. And I, I feel bad saying this because I'm deeply invested in the current work, but Henrietta the Dragon Slayer, she is still so a part of me. And I yearn to write more of her. And I even had a dream um, that I was her the other night, which I don't think I've ever had. And that wow. was hilarious. So funny, because she's like in a more modern setting, which my world is like a medieval world. But she's used to being out in the wilds and everything. And so I had her kind of infringing on civilization and a little bit awkward about it because she's kind of wild. She's, she yeah. loves nature. And contrasted with Janie McAllister, I'm writing stories set in a space station, set in a future. They're not very grounded. And my orientation is completely outward in that she... Um, she says, thank the stars when things go well. There's a religion mm. that I'm building in the background through the mm -hmm. stories of yeah. oriented towards the stars and how we're all made of stardust and just something that brings me hope. And it's a completely different orientation. She's mm. looking up at the stars. I spent a lot of time looking at the stars and the sun and everything. Whereas Henrietta is all about the earth, very earthy, very grounded. She reads bird signs. She talks to animals. So I would say Henrietta is still much more stronger in my psyche versus Janie McAllister. And I've written about equal amount of words, but it took me 13 years to produce three books for Henrietta, but it's taken me six years to produce four books for Janie. And, and I think the time I spend, the actual time that I spend on the stories does influence how I feel about them. So talk to me in seven years after yeah. I've spent another, you know, the equivalent, say, you know, up to 13 yeah. years into the Janie universe, and I might be just as attached. Um, I, I do feel called to put Janie first. I feel like the time is now to talk mm. about the things that I, these books are letting me talk about. Yeah. And, and it's a little harder, but it's also, I feel very passionate about using the format of murder mysteries and investigations to talk about the future of humanity, essentially. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great format. I'm, I'm really surprised by what seems to be almost thematic uh, of, of a lot of writers. And you can never say one thing is true of all writers, but I myself also have gone through this period of writing the mystery. There's something about tangling with the mystery. That's a really cool point where you transition from what you were doing and what you were comfortable doing. However, you started cutting your teeth on literature, which for me was, was literary fiction. Um, but, but then I, I needed to change and adapt. And for some reason, mystery is a perfect tool to adapt your skill set. So it's cool that you're talking about that because you've, you've wrote Janie and, and now you're moving on and, and, and kind of making that change. It's, it's very cool to see. I want to make a slight shift here and discuss a book that you wrote specifically for writers on marketing, uh, to Twitter. So it's something that you have some passion about, some interest in. It's where you and I met and started engaging in a conversation. So you know something, you're doing something right. We caught each other's attention and here we are doing a podcast. So you've got something to say about it. And I want to, I want you to talk about that book a little bit as we then swing over into your writing coach uh, work that you're doing. Sure. Um, yes, I love Twitter. 
I love the short form of Twitter. I love that it's writing oriented. I know it's gotten more into the visual and the video. It's still writing oriented. I like that other idea people are on Twitter. It's a great medium for communicators, science communicators, writers. People have something to say, not always positive, but it's it's been a wonderful play space for me to just, um, and I use it as a form of uh, marketing all my articles and books. And I love hearing and seeing what other people are saying and doing and what are, what's important to them. It's a great way to peek into other, other worlds. Um, and for me, Twitter was easier than any of the other mediums. And I think because as being a writer, I didn't have to worry about the images and was the image perfect and was the image going to grab. I could just think play with words. And I just took it as a place to experiment and connect. And I've gotten clients from there. I've found connections, friends. I met you there. I talked to people who were former students there. And it's it's like a water cooler for me, honestly. And I've been working for home for over 15 years. So it's often where I go to just what are people talking about? You know, like we would at a business water cooler. Yeah. I love that you make that point. I um, am in part of a, a mastermind class with a guy named Kevin Schmidlin. Um, he's helped to kind of troubleshoot how to grow this show. Um, and he came up with this term called the targeted daily engagement. And he refers to where we do our interaction with people on social media, watering holes. You called it a water cooler. It's the same basic idea. It's where people are going. And I think that in, in the business environment, now, neither you nor I have been there for a little while, but in the business environment, when people go to the water cooler to have important conversations that aren't necessarily about work and you learn some intimate details about their lives. So it's a beautiful thing when we do Twitter uh, with intention we find a lot of positivity there, a lot of new ideas, some great connections. Talk to me a little bit more about the way that you are reaching stretch people. Let's talk about it that way. People that it's a stretch to meet in any other way. How are you using Twitter to find them? To connect with them, I fangirl them. I mean, I I believe again, to be a force for good is in my everyday actions. So if I am going to connect with someone on Twitter, I say something positive. In fact, I just reached out to a scientist today because I'm researching um, uh, psychological risk because someone told me today, wow, you, you have a high tolerance for psychological risk. And I'm like, I had to research that. I didn't know what that was. So I found a scientist who had been interviewed in an article. She has a book about risk. I reached out to her, asked her a few questions. Who, who knows? Maybe she'll get back to me. She's on Twitter now, meaning like I, I don't connect with people who aren't actively using Twitter. Uh, so maybe she'll answer me. I've also reached out to a few of my favorite writers like Elizabeth Moon, Diane Duane, and just do shout outs to them every once in a while. I like them. Uh, it's so cool. When else am I going to be able to yeah, like say hi to them? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it a, a few times in the comments on, on questions that I post on Twitter that someone will, will uh, at one of their uh, authors that they just love. And the author will respond back and be like, Oh, I'm so honored. I love that you mentioned, I can't, I can't believe, you know, and just seeing that interaction, I feel such thrill and excitement to, to see that connection happen. And the way that we have access to somebody that there's really no other way that we would have access to them. And as long as you're kind, that is something that you said that is probably missing from too much of the conversation in general, but that kindness, 
I can't for the life of me fathom how you can't find something positive to say to any person at basically any time. There may be one or two people I can think of that I have nothing positive to say about, but generally speaking, there's something. And, and finding that, and yeah, fanboying, fangirling after somebody, and, and they love it. We all love it. It can't hurt. So what else would you say about the, the book that you wrote for Twitter? And if you were going to tell my listeners right now, do this on Twitter that you're not doing today, and it will change how you feel about the social media, that particular social media, what would you say to them? So I, I think um, a big challenge, especially for novelists, is to curate uh, an author persona that they feel comfortable with online. One of the biggest stumbling blocks authors have about marketing is they they feel shy or they feel they feel too exposed. So I, I heavily recommend that you create an author persona. And that is in your bio, that's in your profiles on social media. So if you're going to share people with people on in your bio that you would put in the back of the book that you love knitting and horses and you know Barcelona. Well, find other people like that who love knitting and horses in Barcelona, maybe not all three like you, but maybe the different cross sections and spend your time on Twitter being a fan of your favorite things that you feel comfortable with talking about in social media. So you're going there because you like to talk about those things and you want to connect with those people. You're not going there with the ulterior motive of selling books. It's going to happen People are going to find you. I can't tell you how many times I've stumbled across a book on Twitter and I've gone to the, you know, check it out and grab a sample and off I'm go. And then I can't even remember that I found it on Twitter, but I find so many things that way. Yeah. So be, be, find your author persona and use those keywords, three or four mm. keywords and type them in every day, reach out to a few new people, follow them, engage with them. And Twitter is light and shallow. It really mm. is light and shallow and a great place to eavesdrop on the things you love. Yeah. So if you look at Twitter as a place that's going to sell books, like a direct one-to-one, you might be disappointed. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it to make, to start building a network of common interests, common values, um, then it can become a place that is restful for you. Mm -hmm. If it stresses you out though, huge caveat, you don't have to do Twitter, go do yeah. something else. So I would say that the principles I teach in Twitter for authors are actually made to apply to all the social media platforms, yeah. present and future. It's all about finding your author persona, finding, connecting over your interests and um, what else? <laughs> and, and nurturing it and, and experimenting, honestly, experiment and see what you like. Yeah. There's a huge push right now for TikTok, and it's not something that I am going to be trying out anytime soon, but uh, it is interesting how each social media offers certain different things. One thing I like about Twitter that I don't think gets enough attention is the organic reach that you can have um, finding people. If you post a tweet that gets some interest and it is targeted toward what you want to talk about before you realize it, you can have a hundred thousand impressions, which means that a hundred thousand people saw something that you tweeted. And maybe that's just one second of them seeing your name, but you get that little bit of name recognition. And over time, that is a compounding effect that I think people can't overlook. That's what's happening on TikTok. And I think that people who are savvy about Twitter can do very similar things still. It hasn't been shut down like Facebook. Facebook is 
darn close to impossible to get organic reach. You're going to have to pay for it at this point. So um, with that in mind, one of the things I do want to talk about, and this is in this marketing world, this social media world, and it's building into your coaching role is um, there are people who will come after you with negativity when you're in social media. They want a piece of you for one reason or another. They see an easy opportunity to make fun of somebody that they view as being below them. They lash out. Uh, you've shared something intimate about yourself and you get hit with that negativity. Um, you're going to have to forgive me because I don't remember, there's a, a very specific term that you use for how you help people from a coaching perspective to kind of armor themselves or prepare for those moments of being attacked by a critic. I know when we were first meeting, I talked about how I have a, I'm NLP master practitioner. Yes. Yeah. And NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is basically a fancy way of learning how to change yourself, reprogram yourself, because we're all a bundle of habits, mostly unconscious. So including the way we react to things. So let me back up a step. Number one, I do believe that what we what we send out gets sent back to us. So if I'm going to walk around social media being negative, I, one shouldn't be surprised if negativity gets flung back at you. So I try really hard to be, again, a force for good and only say good things. That's not to say I don't say critical things. I, I, I'm actually kind of very political on Twitter and take a stand. And I've tried to engage people on the other side of the political opinion and just really be curious. Instead of, I mean, I can be angry and I have been angry, but I don't yeah. post when I'm angry. I, I know if I post when I'm angry, I'm just going to get hit back. It's happened yeah. in real life. Mm -hmm. I did martial arts. If you come at someone harder, who's better than you, they are going to take you down. I did capoeira <laughs> for like three years. And every time I would go in there into the fight dance circle and I would go at the someone hard, they would always take me down and they would tell me you're not good enough yet. You can't take me down. What are you, what are you doing? You know? So it's like, if you want to fight, you're going to get hit. If you, if you want to engage in nice and, you know, interesting conversations, go with that. So that's number one. Now we can't stop people coming at us being mean, being nasty. For me, I've received some negative reviews on my books and I have my husband read them now but it still hurts. So I think what you and I were maybe going to talk about a little bit more is like, how do you handle it when it hurts? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And that is, that is something that's important to me. So I'm going to frame it up with exactly the question that I asked on Twitter. And uh, it, it was such an interesting one because the, the question was, how do you deal with it when you have friends and family who are not supportive of your writing? And I was shocked that at least 40% of people who responded to that question, and I had thousands of replies to that question, it really caught fire. 40% of people said, uh, I just ignore it and go on. And I believe 10% of that 40%. So I believe a subsection of them actually do ignore it and move on, that there's something in the way that they are able to function throughout life probably a lot of it is healthy that they're just like, Oh yeah, that person doesn't know me. Not a big deal. Kind of brush it off and move along. But I think there are a lot of people who think that's the right answer. I'm supposed to just ignore this. I'm supposed to be tough. I'm supposed to shield myself and I'm supposed to work. But then behind closed doors, it really 
hurts when your family ignores what you're doing or your friends ignore what you're doing. They don't ask you how it's going because you're mingling with them and you're watching them ask each other, oh, how's your painting business going? How's your accounting business going? How's your farm going? But they don't look at you and say, how's writing going? They just ignore it. That's one way. I mean, there's so many ways I could take this, but I want to stop and with that in mind and ask you, how do you, how do you deal with those things? That's a tough one in that I am, I do ignore it when people don't ask, I will just tell them. So this is what's going on. And if they look bored or if they look uncomfortable, then I know they're not a friend with whom I can have those discussions. Yeah. The hardest is having family members not take an interest, Mm -hmm. but I've grown in that. I get that they get that it's important to me. And that's really all that matters. It's when it wasn't valued. It didn't seem valued by the family members. That was painful, but I learned how, I learned I had to communicate it in a way that they could relate to. I think a lot of people who aren't writers do not know what it's like. And I I get a lot of beginning writers uh, who have a lot of preconceived notions of what it means to be a writer. And so they struggle until they find their own rhythm because there's a lot of uh, cultural ideas. Oh, a writer just sits down and drinks whiskey and writes or whatever. That's that's my every day, 9am, just pouring the whiskey and getting to it. (laughs) Money's rolling in. (laughs) Right. Or they're bitter or they're bestsellers or that, right. Like there's all these preconceived ideas. And I I think um, it is a bit of a black box. So it may be that those family members don't even know how to broach the subject because it's so mysterious. Very much. Yeah, that's a good point. When it shuts you down, you were talking about the neuro-linguistic reprogramming. Um, how, how do you, probably it's the wrong term, but what's the self-talk to help yourself over those points? Because there are people like me, I think I've gotten better at it, to be honest, but for a very long time, if I had to visit with my parents, and I try to keep it at a minimum for that reason, but if I had to, um, it took me a few days to get back into the rhythm of things, maybe more like a week to really feel like, okay, I'm a successful person who can do this. What do you say to me at that point? Why is it, why is it hurting me so bad that it's taking me a week to recover from that? Because I don't think in a lot of ways that I have uh, imbalances quite that strong. It's very specifically around this thing that I'm passionate about that they refuse to acknowledge or um, encourage, I guess. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to, they don't see how, important it is to you or how valuable it is to you. Uh, And if only, so part of the challenge in this kind of discussion is really NLP works when it's specific and case, it's very case driven. So in this case, I would really be curious about, well, what is it that you wish they would say to you? And what is it that you can say instead to yourself? You know, that like, that's, I just did a real quick jump over a lot of stuff, but it, right. We're not getting it from the outside world. So how can you generate it internally? I wish, I wish that they would say to me, I'm proud of you for taking risks. Um, that would, that would be at the bottom of it is I'm proud of you for taking risks. That would feel great to me. Yeah. And mean it. Yeah. 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 So this is a truism for all of us. We don't get parented the way we would like. 
I think 99% of the population on the planet probably feels that way, maybe 90. I don't know. I have met some people who are very happy with the way they were parented. Mm -hmm. But um, so I think a big part of our adulthood is learning how to parent ourselves and how to give ourselves that self-talk that you mentioned. And what would that be like if, and here's a little bit of NLP, where a future version of you, Jody, can very easily say to yourself, you're doing great. Look at all the risks you're taking. Wow. I am so proud of you. And there was Jody living and walking around and having that experience of being able to give that to himself and also being able to feel that in the body. Like, what does it feel like to have those words resonating internally? Do you stand differently? Do you look at the world differently? That version of you who can do that, you know, what is he perceiving in the world? So we can step into that future version of you who has received that information, that that wonderful the praise, the support, um, the encouragement. And what is that like for you? Yeah, yeah, that's that is something I have to I have to do off of this podcast to think about it because when you were saying it, I was thinking about saying it to myself, and it is weird how even just imagining saying those words to myself has some sort of strange impact. I'm not sure why. I, I've never really thought about doing that before. So I need to, I need to reflect on that for myself. It's a perfect transition to open up the conversation a little bit more to, I think a part of the business that you offer that is unique uh, in many ways that it's very much your brand, but that is the, the uh, mentoring and the coaching for writers. Please talk to me, um, start broad and then just work your way down the funnel and, and, and end by talking to the one person who's listening right now. Who's like, I need Bethany right now to help me get over this blockage. I, I love how you perceive that Jody, because I'm always curious to see how I'm perceived because I, I, I can't see that. Uh, Great. So what I really love to do is work with writers who are ready to write their novel and they maybe don't know where to begin. So we start them off with our plan your novel course or book or in the fall we run our 60 day novel class where we run you through we support you through the planning of your novel and we really specialize over here, I would say in genre fiction. So any kind of genre fiction. Uh, we, between my husband and I, and we also have a, another teacher, we have experience in, we do, mystery, romance, thriller, uh, horror, uh, erotic, erotica, when it's built into the storyline, uh, science fiction, fantasy, horror even, surrealism, speculative fiction, strange things, mashups. We really help people think through that process and then support them also while they're writing their, their novel. And... I work now behind the scenes during that particular class, or if anyone takes the home study class, I'm the one who answers any of their questions or responds to their shares. Uh, And then from there, we invite people into our group coaching program, which is for folks who finished their first draft. And it maybe isn't this year's first draft. It might be last year's first draft. That's okay. And, and maybe they have never had any feedback on it, or maybe they, um, They've only shown it to one person and they want support in a small, intimate group environment where we really have some serious fun. One of my students said it's like a master's degree, but way more fun because we're going we're going to school on your book and on being a writer, helping you develop a writing practice, helping you edit your own work, work in a small group. There's opportunity to get one on one support and developmental editing from me. Uh, And we really are an intimate group of fun 
interesting people who want to learn in a small community. And then for those who don't want that, I also work with people one-on-one -on -one where I might do a mixture of developmental editing and the kind of change work, NLP change pattern work where we help you develop a writing practice, overcome blocks. And really the biggest thing I would have to say that I love helping people with is helping them develop uh, a writing process that is right for them. That's really very, very powerful. You may want to be a writer, but being a writer is not an end deal. It's not a, it's not a prize on the top of a mountain. It is a daily thing. I'm a writer every day, by the way, by my practices, by how I approach the world, by how I approach my work. It allows me to stay the course and, and be here today, having published 13 novels and five nonfiction books with you know more on the way. So this is one of the things I notice people come to me. They're like, help me make my writing process my own. I don't even know where to begin but I want to have a writing practice like you have. So I would say that is hands down kind of the core of the work that I do with writers. That's fantastic. With the number of books you've written and what you're doing right now, if somebody came to you and said, I really want to make a full-time living out of this, this work of being an author, is that a possibility? And can you show me how to do that? You know, honestly, I don't find myself, I'm not an expert at teaching people how to make a full-time living as a writer. I don't. I'm actually, I earn more as a writing teacher and a coach than as a novelist. Sure. So honestly, I, but I understand how to make money. So if, if your goal is to bring in revenue as a creative person, absolutely. Let's talk. If you just want to make money from your fiction, I cannot claim any expertise there. And I would point you in some other directions. I have a lot of resources. I know a lot of people who've done it. There are a few successful roads to that. And, and they're all interesting and they're all different. So if somebody wants to work with me because they find me the, the right, the right, you know, flavor for them, I, I feel like I have a lot of information about how to be a successful creative entrepreneur, because that is what I've done. It's just not each person that I've seen do this and myself included, we all walk a unique path, but I did not do this alone. And I've received tons of help. And uh, I, I'm very happy about helping other creative entrepreneurs also build a business around their creativity. And it might look different than you think. Well, a couple of the, the areas that you touched on that I think we discussed too in our, our brief conversation before the podcast was um, there's something to self-limiting beliefs. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of people who are going to come to you and have conversations with you are going to be at one, one sort of level of the spectrum limited on what they believe is possible. Um, and yes, there are specific ways that you can go out and market your books to make more money selling your books. But what you said, I, I find to be more important is as a creative person, can you make a living? And I think a big part of that is understanding that your books don't have to be the only piece of the creative pie. In fact, uh, I've said this probably before on the podcast, but certainly to people that I know, uh, the podcast is part of my creative process. The podcast is part of bringing in the economy that allows me to be also a novelist. I get to do both things. They feed each other, just like your coaching feeds your writing. Every time you coach a new person, it's like you take in, uh, it's, it's their essence. And now you're able to do something new with your own writing that you weren't able to do before. So that's, that's at least part of what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. And I would say one of my strengths is I'm a teacher. So not only can I coach one-on-one, -on -one, but I can teach in a, in a group, a small group, a big group. 
And there's such a power of being in the room with other writers. I would say that's what helped me be where I am today. As I, so I tell writers, get thee to a writing community. If you are alone and you're struggling, you really need to be a part of like-minded writers to, to accelerate your, your career in whatever direction it, it's going to go. And, and it might be in some unexpected direction as well. Absolutely. The element of community, we started there, we're going to wrap things up there of collaborating with people, similar minds that are going to challenge you and make you feel safe as they edit your books and help you to bring out the best you that they possibly can and inspire you to do things you didn't expect to do. Uh, For the people listening right now who want to get in touch with you, where are you going to point them? Since we highlighted Twitter and you're on Twitter and I'm on Twitter, connect with me on Twitter at Beth Barani. Uh, from there, you can jump over to, you know, all my other things, or you could just go bethbarani.com, which is my home site to discover my school, my novels, uh, my, my, how I help writers, the blog, all of it. Uh, and really say hi, you know, fortune um, rewards the brave. Come say hi to me on Twitter and tell me you saw me on Jody's show. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. I love that. Um, all right. So in conclusion, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I, as a bonehead, completely neglected to to mention and you just don't want the listeners to miss out on? Well, I would like to call people's attention to the fact that I do have an online school. It is uh, self-paced, home study, great for self-starters. And bonus, I'm there. So you're not all alone. Uh, when you join, if you if you click that button that says, yes, I want to get emails from you, you will be a part of our community. You'll be invited into our Facebook group. We have twice weekly writing sprints. So there's and there's opportunity always for new things. I'm always interested in hearing what people want. Uh, and it's a great community of interesting iconoclastic in thinkers, people who are writing, doing all kinds of interesting projects. And it's really a fun place to be. If you haven't found a home elsewhere and you're looking for a place to be yourself, this is what writers tell me. They come and join my community because it's fun. It's quirky, all kinds of interesting people being themselves, learning from each other. And, and that's what I really love to foster. I love that. That is a perfect thing. So go join Beth Barani's school and go self-paced, but have a community It was wonderful to talk with you. I'm so glad we connected and I look forward to staying in touch in the future. Absolutely, Jody. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook. Jody J. Spurley. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening.